Ian and I are doing a tag team. Uh, we are getting stuck into a little bit more about what, what do we really care about at Harvest? What do we see for the next uh, months ahead? Vision, if you were, but really, um, if you're part of us and amongst us, what, do, what, what would we love you to feel? What would we love you to be excited for? If you don't know me, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're going to dive right in. So uh, we're talking a bit about transformation today. And transformation is defined as, uh, let me read this uh, out to you, as defined as something um, that brings uh, change in form, nature, or appearance. And there's just something special about positive transformation. Transformation can be positive or negative, but there's something special about positive transformation. So um, over here, these are, um, uh, if you can see them. So um, you've got a little bit before and afters. There's a little house with uh, rundown um, outside lawns. And then uh, afterwards, once it's been done and uh, cleaned out, it looks very pretty. So you can see a transformation in housing. You can see it in gardens. You have garden landscapers that bring about transformation. Then you can see it in actual houses. This is just some amongst others. But you see uh, on the top there, there's a house that's absolutely rundown. Uh, the sort of roof is falling. It's overgrown. And uh, a transformation that happens happened of that same thing below. And it's just uplifting. When I um, see things like this extreme makeover home edition, I don't know if any of you ever watched that, but an absolutely destroyed house, partly sometimes because the people have um, been in a tough time, but I think more often they just don't care about their house. Um, then they apply and they get a great one and it's probably just as bad in six months time. But... That being said, there's something special about seeing transformation. Uh, if you can see it at the top, uh, there's a house where at the top it's looking kind of old-fashioned and then that whole area gets a complete transformation, a change in form, nature and appearance into something beautiful and modern. There's another little few uh, pictures there of older on the left, newer on the right. Um, over here for vehicle lovers, uh, there's obviously an, an, an older type truck, American version on the left that's been... Um, uh, ignored for a number of years and someone lovingly transforms it um, and makes it into something beautiful. And then I thought I'd have to get a, a person in there. So um, some of you may have done various different diets and everything else trying to look after your body. Uh, there's a person on the left and on the right. They look very different. You ought to be careful on Google when you search these type of body transformations because it's quite horrific some of the things that you see. Um, but I, I thought that was probably one of the safer ones to show. Um, and uh, there's, there's another couple, um, and there's a bit of a transformation. You can sort of see a change in people's face and people's character. They've experienced that within their body. There's many other transformations we could look at. Um, I, I looked on some, and they're a little bit dis disturbing, some of them, but you can see people who've gone in the positive side from an absolute drug addict to someone who's completely free from it. An amazing transformation in character, in appearance. So transformation is something powerful. It truly is inspirational, exciting, uplifting, and hope building. So it's pretty clear what transformation is. I think most of us have an understanding of what. But why is it truly important, particularly when it comes to our faith journey? Why is it particularly important that we have a transformation in our lives when it comes down to faith? As a church leadership, we're passionate about seeing transformation in individual lives amongst us 
and that will lead to transformation in church because church is really just made up of individuals. So if we transform and become like Christ, the church automatically transforms. What that does in a trickle effect into neighborhoods and businesses and the city is huge and then onto a, a national scale as well. So we're passionate about transformation as a church, spiritual transformation as a church leadership because of what it can do. And so the question I wanna ask each of you today is what if the best really is yet to be in your faith, in your individual life, in your marriage? What happens if the best is yet to be? Maybe you're sitting going, it's great, it's amazing, my life is incredible, could it get any better? It can with God. Maybe you're sitting going, well actually it's terrible. With God the best can be yet to be. Maybe in your business, maybe in your neighborhood, Maybe in this city, maybe in this nation. What if? I really felt as I prepared on this, God encouraging you to dream again. To dream again of what if. Kids do this so easily. They do make believe so easily. They dream up stories and things. But God's asking you today in a nation where dreams have been beaten down and smashed for years and years. What if? And I felt him encouraging you to dream again today. What could his transformation look like in you personally, in your marriage, in friendships? Maybe you're someone who struggles with friendships. Maybe you sit there going, everyone lets me down. I don't have a good friend. I've never had a good friend. What if with God it could be different? And I know that it can because he's a God who's about transformation. He's a God who's about restoration. And when he's involved, there is always transformation. When you open up your life to Christ, he is the transformer, the ultimate one. When you open up your life to him, inevitably there will be change, positive change. We can create negative change in ourselves. We can do that on our own. We can do that with the help of others. But when we open our lives to him, positive transformation comes. With him, there is always hope. There is always more. But it just so often seems like what we hope for and the transformation that we're excited for just doesn't seem to happen. At least that's what it seems like for me. How many of you, and I'm gonna go on a long list before you put your hands up because I don't want suddenly people to get awkward and singled out on the different list. But how many of you have had a picture of your faith, your marriage, your family, your life, and it hasn't turned out as you thought? How many of you feel God has spoken to you about something, about an area, about something in the future, and it hasn't happened yet? How many, show of hands. Well, me for one. The rest of you guys, that is unbelievable. You guys are experiencing radical, complete transformation and everything you have dreamed for has happened. My goodness, we have an astounding church. <laughs> Can I talk to you guys? That was about 100 of you. Can I have a chat to you guys afterwards? I want to find out how. No, no, I think you're just slow to lift up your hands. Um, I would say that for each of us, there will be an aspect of our life There'll be an aspect of things that we maybe feel God has said to us in the past or something that we feel should be right that isn't. And we have these questions going around us, but, but God, why not? Why is this like this and not like this? Why is this that I really felt you say to me many years ago? Why has it not happened yet? Well, you're not alone. There was a family who felt just the same. We're going to read this together. We're going to pick it up in Genesis, if you have your Bibles, uh, Genesis 12. We're going to start there in 1 to 4, and then we're going to take ourselves on a little bit of a journey with this, uh, with this family. 
So Genesis 12, uh, and this is the call of Abraham. So God created the world, created Adam and Eve, and uh, through their descendants, um, we, um, we, we obviously had uh, Noah, and the, the list goes on. And then Tower of Babel, some of you might have heard of this before, confuses people's language because they're getting a bit too arrogant, a bit too proud. And then uh, along comes this man called Abraham. We're going to pick it up and we're going to read over here. Now, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. That was his brother. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abraham, this man, he hears God's voice. What I love about him, you see, you pick it up over there, verse four. So he went. God said, go into the land that I will show you. He hasn't shown him everything yet. He just gets the sense God's telling me to go. What I love about Abraham's character is he does it. He went and he departs. God provides for him as he goes. Doesn't know exactly where he's going at that time. God tells him different bits, but God does bless him. He has huge amounts of livestock. Um, he grows in terms of his military trained men that, men that he had to protect himself, but uh, he grows in wealth. Uh, he grows in stature. God protects him. God provides for him. He hasn't yet found that land necessarily, but God is with him in the process. So let's uh, continue reading the story. So we jump on and uh, God continues to grow and develop. And then Genesis 15, in verse 1 to 6. God's told him at the start there uh, that you might have seen, he said that I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's important. So right at the start we read, God says to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay, so he carries on. He's like, okay, God, that's fine. Off I go. Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So different things have happened. Uh, kings have said, hey, we, we really appreciate what you're doing. And again, he's, he's growing in, in wealth and ability. And this is what God says. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household, not my own bloodline, will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, this man in your household, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Of course he can't. So God's getting across about how many people is going to be. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and, it, and God credit, counted it to him as righteousness. So you have this way, he's kind of questioning. God said, you're going to be a great nation. Go and you're going to be a great nation. Now this is some time on, things have happened. And God again says to him, hey, you know, you're going to, you're going to be a great nation. And he's going, but Let's be serious. Yeah, maybe through surrogacy, you know, maybe through someone else, and yes, Lord, maybe, but not through myself. There's no child. We, me and Sarah, we, we can't have kids. It's not happening to us. And God says again, this is going to happen, and he believed the Lord. He's a man of great faith. He trusted God. He just trusted what the Lord said to him. But he is struggling a little bit. And I can imagine in that time, it's been a number of years since he headed out um, into the unknown. I could imagine him going, there must have been this nagging sense, God, did I actually hear what you said? Did you really tell me that a nation was, did I, did I just imagine that? Maybe for some of you, there's been things you felt God say to you. 
It's been a number of years and you're starting to go, did I really hear? Did I make it up? Was it really him? Abraham felt that. He struggled with that as well. And so what happens is in the process in Genesis 16, uh, we, we're jumping on a bit further now, so I'll go back so you don't read ahead. What happens is, is, although it says Abraham believed, actually him and his wife then doubted. So they hatched their own plan to fulfill God's promise. It involved a slave woman and involved her sleeping with Abraham to somehow get that line going. And I just want to tell you that don't ever try and make your own plan to fulfill God's promises doesn't end particularly well for them and it won't end particularly well for us God's faithful he'll still bring about our promise he works in the midst of our sin he's done that over and over but when we try and make our own plan we don't wait on God we don't trust him things don't go as planned they lost trust in God's promise they sinned in the process trust him don't force things God will bring about his promise in your life in his time hold on to hope in your life for the transformation that God is all about. So hang on for that. Okay, so then this happens. And God said to Abraham, as for um, Sarai, your wife, um, you shall not call her Sarai anymore, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. So God's again saying, this promise I spoke to you, it is going to happen. I told you about transformation in your life, it's going to happen. Um, I'll bless you, and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And I don't think this was a laugh like, ha this is amazing. It was a laugh like, never in a million years, God, is this going to happen? He said to himself, shall a child be, never say things to yourself and think God can't hear. He hears everything you think. <laughs> That's a scary thing. <laughs> then Abraham fell on his face, he laughed, said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And that wasn't like young in that time. That was old. It's like a hundred year old now. It was old. People lived about the same time then, maybe a little bit more, but lived about the same time. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to, so that's the impossibility of what we're talking about. This is a, a miraculous thing that has to happen. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael, which is a son born through the slave girl, might live before you. And God said, no, I'm not talking about Ishmael. I'm not talking about this plan you made for yourself. No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him. I'll make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. You know, God works through our mess. Even when we make a plan and we try and do our own things, God still works. He's graceful. He's merciful. And he still looked after that slave girl. He looked after her offspring. He did a great thing in them. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now God's getting a bit more specific. At this time next year. So we uh, jump on a little bit further. What's happened is, is um, some angels have visited. They've come across with, uh, with Abraham. And uh, let's see what it says. The Lord said, I'll surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, Sarah's listening. 
So she's listening by the tent door. She can hear Abram having this conversation with God um, and, uh, and, and angels with him. And now Sarah, Abram and Sarah were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased with her. Yes, she was 90 years old. She was a granny. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. Again, just don't laugh to yourself. If you're going to say something to God, just say it. It's a lot better. Don't try to keep it to yourself. He knows anyway. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I still have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I didn't laugh. You can't lie to God. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. No, but you did laugh. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible? No, keep trusting, keep hoping. That thing that you think is impossible in your life, that thing you think can never be transformed, can never be changed, the city that can never be changed, my neighborhood that can never be changed, my family can never be changed. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Final bit. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had asked him to do. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I want you to know, for us as a church, for you individually, when we talk about transformation, our dreams and our prayers for our own lives and for the church and for the city and for the nation, I want you to know that God is not finished with you yet. I want you to know that God is not finished with us yet. He's not finished with this church yet. He's not finished with this city yet. He's not finished with this nation. He's not finished with the world yet. That promise that he's spoken to you, Hold on to it. That place where you think God has failed you in life, trust Him. The place where you feel He's spoken and He hasn't come through, wait on Him. Do you know why it's so important for us to see God's transformation in our lives in the church? We've spoken about what? We've looked at an amazing case study of people who saw it happen in their own lives. They saw the impossible happen. They saw a dream, a promise of transformation come to pass. Do you know why it's so important? Well, two main reasons. Firstly, it shows us in the world that God is who he said he is according to scripture. It's what it does. Because if there's no transformation in your life and mine, then God is not who he said he is. Then what scripture says about him is untrue. So when we see transformation happen within us, when we see it happen through us, it is a proof to us that he is who he said he is. And God's about seeing us transformed. Look at this amazing passage, one of the key ones that we've been praying through as leadership. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So people used to have to approach God with a covered face, Old Testament. We weren't able to look in his face. We weren't able to see his presence, many respects, because of his holiness. Jesus comes, opens up the doorway for us to know him. We're being transformed 
into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So us as Christ followers, us as followers of the Lord, when we spend time with him, when we allow him into our hearts, he changes us, he transforms us to look more and more like his son. What that does is it proves to us and it proves to the world that he is who he said he is. It's what it does. It proves to us and the world that he is who he said he is. It proves that when we read scriptures like that, well, Lord, actually, I look at myself and how I was 10 years ago. I'm different today. He does transform me. He is doing it. That thing that I used to struggle with, that sin I used to struggle with, I don't struggle anymore. Why? Because he's transforming me. Because what he promised in scripture, he is doing. So that's the first one, second one, of why it's so important because it shows us a glimpse of the world that is to come. So if God's transforming us and if he's bringing some level of transformation on earth, what this shows us, it gives us a little taste, a little picture of what relationships are gonna be like one day, of what cities could be like one day, of what God's people could be like one day. It's never gonna be perfect in this lifetime. Many times it's gonna be far from perfect. But what we should see increasingly as we move in our faith in Christ, we should increasingly see sparks of another world. We should see glimpses of a world that's to come. Because as sure as the, run, the sun rises and sets each day, that world is coming. That world will happen. Look at these um, great verses that give us a cool picture. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. One day, we're gonna know all things. We're gonna see Jesus face to face. We're gonna talk with him. The things that we have been hurtful now aren't gonna mean anything when we stand in his presence. The things that have concerned us, the things that we've been worried about, they're gonna be of no concern when we stand in the presence of the living God and we, we will see him face to face. What a day that's gonna be. I took a memorial service on Friday for a family and I said to them, you know, one day there's gonna be a bunch of people on chairs sitting around remembering your life. I said, we've got a really short time on earth but if you live it for Christ, if you give your life to him, when people are sitting around celebrating, you're gonna be doing a far larger celebration in heaven, forever and ever. Next little one about the new heaven and new earth, and I'm almost ready to hand over to uh, Ian. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You know, when Jesus returns, he's creating a new heaven and a new earth for us. We go to the beach and we look at it and we just say, that's beautiful. We go to Kariba and we, we look at the wildlife in Wangi. We look at Victoria Falls and we go, that is stunning. Could there be a prettier world? Could there be a, mo a more amazing world? Yes, because as beautiful as this world is, it's still decayed by sin. When we uh, rise again as Christ follows, if we give our life to Christ and when he creates the new heaven and the new earth, a world free from sin will be unbelievable. If you're sitting here going, I just wish I could travel more. I wish I could do more, I just don't have the money, but there's these other people I know and they travel and they've, they've been to the east and they've been here. Do you know what? As Christ followers, we can easily delay travel until eternity. Because can I tell you what we're gonna see there when we travel and I don't know if we'll have airplanes or how we'll do it. Can I tell you it will be better than any holiday you can go on now. So if you're sad and going, I just, I wish I could do more. I wish I could see this world more. The world that's to come is gonna be an awful lot more amazing. So you can delay holidays for eternity. 
Obviously, you want to travel now, but it's going to be far, far better than you can ever imagine. Yeah. If as Christ follows, we don't experience God's transformation and see our role in bringing it in earth in a small way, we won't demonstrate to the world that that he is alive and we won't demonstrate to the world that there is another world to come. If we don't do those two things, then as Paul says, we're pitied of all people. And people will look at us, they'll look at church, they'll look at how we live, and they'll go, he's obviously not really that real. Because that person tells me they've been a Christian. They say they've been a Christian for 20 years, and honestly, I just don't want to spend time with them because they're just not very nice people. And that church, well, geez, that church, they, they say that they love God and they love people, but honestly, it's like the most unfriendly place I've ever been to. And there's far friendlier people down at Tin Roof. Far rather hang out with them. And yes, they're drunk and they're not really with me. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're only friendly because I buy them drinks, but at least they're friendly to me. It is essential that we let Jesus transform us. And as he transforms us, he transforms us as a people, as a church. And when that happens, people see the electrifying joy and purpose that comes from Christ. And they want a piece of it. It happens if we, one, allow him to transform us internally. And two, we show people that whilst there's going to be some transformation in this lifetime, there's another one to come. So will you take up that call today? Will you take it up for all your life? Will you hold on to God and trust him no matter what? Will you lay down your life for the sake of those who need to see God's transformation in their lives? Greatest thing you can ever live for. If you're struggling for purpose in life, give your life to God. You'll experience purpose straight away. You're sitting going, what's really the point? Kind of feels a bit mundane. The struggles and the trials, yes, they're there. But if you want purpose, if you want life, it's in a person. It's in Jesus. He's the transformer. Our prayers of church leadership is that you would take up the call. So we've covered a little bit about what is transformation. We've covered a bit about why it's so important. And now for the practical, Ian, uh, who, who leads the church lead pastor, is going to cover the important part of how. How do we actually see this happen? Thanks. Let's just say together, the best is yet to be. Shall we say it together? Yeah. The best is yet to be. Once more, the best is yet to be. What I'd like you to do in the week ahead is whenever you meet or bump into a harvester, just say to them, the best is yet to be. Okay, do we believe that? Craig has told us that um, the best is yet to be. There's, there's good stuff waiting for us in our own lives um, on earth, but then ultimately when we get to heaven, there's an even greater, better, which is waiting for us. But now I'd like to talk about, well, how do we actually become a transformational church? Because that is our vision. We want to be a transformational church. We want to be a church that sees transformation in the members of the congregation, and then we want to see the members of the congregation becoming agents for transformation who will be taking transformation beyond our church family. That's what we want to be in a nutshell. We want to be a transformational church. And you'll see on our new website that we now pose that question. What if the best is yet to be? To remind us as members, but also to, to pose that question to people who are in the world. Because people in the world are desperate for transformation. They're desperate for things to be better. And when we ask that question, what if the best is yet to be? Is there a possibility that things could be better? It's hugely um, enticing. So I'm going to talk about some aspects of 
the start of transformation and then some aspects of ongoing transformation. Let's start off with the first one, which is the, the aspect of how transformation begins. And I'd just like to start by telling you about a friend of mine that I was at university with. His name was called Grant. He was a bit of a problem child. Had very woolly hair. Um, well, I had woolly hair as well at the time, but that's <laughs> by the by. He used to travel around on a skateboard. Um, and the one night I was busy studying, I could smell um, Dacha wafting down the corridor. And, and so I went down and he was sitting in his res room smoking Dacha and that became quite a common, common thing. It was just the tip of the iceberg. So I started um, kind of reaching out to him in a bit and building some bridges. And the one afternoon I was sitting in his room chatting to him um, and listening to his, his stories of, of how he was struggling and how he was battling and the mess that he was making of his life. And then suddenly in the midst, of, he was quite a drama queen, right in the midst of, of this um, conversation, he just turned around and he punched the wall and he said, that's it. From now onwards, from today, I change. And then he had to lick his knuckles because they were bleeding from punching the wall. <laughs> but unfortunately, he didn't change. And by the end of the term, uh, he was out. He was no longer there and I lost touch with him. And I learned two things from that. The first thing I learned is that if you want to be a drama queen, don't punch a wall. <laughs> punch something soft. Um, and then the other thing I learned um, is that you're not going to change unless you have a change of ownership. Transformation will only happen if you have a change of ownership. The Bible teaches that I was a slave to sin. In other words, sin had a legal right to my obedience. And it was the same for Grant. So when Grant was tempted to sin, he couldn't resist because he was owned by sin. He needed the legal transfer of ownership from sin to God. So let me illustrate it to you in this way. Um, my gardener and I, we have entered into a legal employment contract and we each have responsibilities and obligations. I have an obligation to pay him, um, to provide a place for him to stay. He has an obligation to do things around the garden, for example, trimming the hedge. But if he terminates that contract, we're no longer in a legal contract with me, and he signs a contract with Kevin and Natasha, my neighbor, then I can go to the gate and I can say, Enoch, I wonder if you could come and sort out my hedge. It needs trimming. And now, out of the goodness of his heart, he could decide to do that in his spare time, but he no longer has a legal obligation to come and trim my hedge. And that's what happens when we get born again, when we get converted. We get shifted from being owned by sin to being owned by God. And we're going to spend some time in, in, the, in the future weeks looking over these things. But in Romans 6, Paul explains that when a man gets converted or a woman gets converted, they experience a change of ownership. They are no longer legally bound to obey sin because now they're owned by God. So Grant continued as a slave to sin because he didn't get a change of ownership. And when God becomes your owner, because you've entered into a legal contract with him, you're no longer obliged to say yes to sin. You can choose to obey sin, but you don't have to. Out of the badness of your heart, you can choose to obey sin, but you don't have to do that. But there's another aspect to the starting transformation. We're talking about the how of transformation. And it has to do with a change of heart because even though you've had that legal change of ownership, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the heart and the desire to be obedient to God. 
even though you've entered into a contract with him. Sometimes, let's be frank, sometimes we just don't want to obey God. So we need a change of heart, and this also happens at conversion. So think of it this way. Um, the, the biblical understanding of the heart is that it's a bit like the central processing unit, the CPU, in a computer. So what happens in a computer is the CPU receives signals from the keyboard and from the mouse and the microphone and other components of the computer, and then it processes those things, and then it controls those different components of the computer. And that's exactly the Hebrew understanding of the heart. The heart receives messages from your emotions, from your mind, from your will, and it then also controls your mind and your emotions and your will. Now the Bible teaches that before you got converted, you had a heart of stone. And that means that your heart was unresponsive to God. And for that reason, your emotions, your thoughts, your will, everything about you was unresponsive to God. Your heart needed a change so that it could experience transformation. And so when a heart gets converted, the Bible tells us that God, or when a person gets converted, the Bible tells us that God takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. And that can only happen by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will change your heart and then he will take up residence there the ongoing personal presence of God in your heart. And it's that presence of God, the Holy Spirit in you, that gives you the power and the will, the desire to change. So I hope you're starting to see what needs to happen for transformation to take place, for us to be a transformational church. You need to undergo that legal transformation and you need to understand that it's happened. You need to undergo the heart transformation. But here's a sad thing. Many Christians go through those two transformations, but they forget the third aspect, the third initial aspect of transformation, which is that you have a change of family. And because they don't recognize this, they don't experience transformation in their own lives, and they don't become agents of transformation in society around them. So the Bible says that when you're converted, you have a change of family. You are adopted into God's family. Now, if a baby isn't raised in some sort of nurturing family, that baby will not thrive. And if the truth be told, that baby will probably die. This is Jordan Frank. He was uh, abandoned as a newborn baby in Epworth and ended up in Chinyarudso Children's Home. And our good friends, Stan and Lindy Frank, had battled to have children for years. And so in the early 90s, they started exploring options for adoption. They went to go and visit Chinyarodza Children's Home, and the matron said, you've, you've, you've come at just the, the, the right time, because we are in an absolute crisis here at the moment. We've got seven or eight, I can't remember the exact figure now, uh, it was the early 90s, a long time ago, seven or eight newborn babies, and we've had an outbreak of measles. And of course, measles is deadly um, to, to babies. And she said, wouldn't you just go and have a look at the babies and pick one of them and take him or her home and look after that baby until they're fine? And so they went through and they, can you imagine the weight of 
knowing that maybe some of those kids you didn't choose were going to die. And they chose Jordan. They took him home. They took him to see a pediatrician. He was admitted to hospital. Lindy spent a number of days in hospital with Jordan, day and night, next to his bed, praying for him. And um, he pulled through. And then eventually they went on to adopt him. Um, but when they went back to the children's home, most of those newborn babies had died. And this is an illustration, folks, of the fact that newborn children need a family. And in the same way, we will only grow and thrive. We will only experience the fullness of the transformation that God has for us when we're in a church family. So we've dealt with how this transformation begins. Um, now we, we need to to talk about how it's going to continue. It begins with a change of ownership, with um, a change of heart, and a change of family. Now let's talk about how it continues. First of all, obedience. The Bible teaches us over and over again. Remember, we're talking about how we can be transformed and how we can be agents for transformation. Sons and daughters of God are obedient to God. Obedience is part of our DNA. Obedience is part of the family likeness. And here's the thing. The change of ownership and the change of heart and the change of family all make it possible for you to be obedient. Remember, it's not the obedience that brings about those initial changes. The obedience is the fruit of those changes. Now that your heart has been changed, now that your legal status has been changed, now that your family has been changed, the outworking of that is obedience. Folks, Everything, absolutely everything is in place for you to be changed and to continue changing year after year through obedience. And yet so often Satan deceives us and he cons us into thinking that we don't have the power to change, but we do because of what God has done for us, those initial aspects of transformation. Peter says in his epistle that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Do we believe that? I believe it. Paul teaches in Galatians that we have been set free in order to love people and to obey the Spirit. Obey the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, the presence of God, is inside of you, giving you the potential and the power to obey. So we as a church family, our vision is to continuously talk about obedience to God. Our vision is to model obedience to God. If you want to be a part of this family and you want to buy into this vision, then be obedient people, be obedient to the word of God. Um, and we're going to expect obedience to God. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be real people. We're, 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 we're quite welcome to, to be real with one another. And you'll see it even from the pulpit. I'll be real with you about my failings. And if I do something that's, that's wrong or I make a mistake, um, I, I just ask you to give me the freedom to ask for forgiveness and trust that you will forgive me. That's part of what it means. Yes, we are obedient, but we're also real with it. So this transformation continues with obedience. It also continues with participation. If you can get connected into our Harvest family, then you cannot fail to grow. Just think of it this way. I've been told that ears never stop growing. 
And I believe it because I've got a friend who's 93 and he has massive ears. <laughs> in fact, one third of his ear, his right ear got chopped off because he had skin cancer. You wouldn't even tell the difference. I mean, it honestly looks like a full ear. It's so big. But that ear is only going to grow if it's connected to the body. And so you need to be connected to this body in order for you to grow and to be changed and to be transformed. It's part of God's plan. It's part of his grace. Some of his grace flows to you through all of us. And there's two reasons for this. Um, the first reason why you're going to grow just like that ear um, in this family is because we hold and we promote church values that are designed to create a healthy body. First of all, we, talk, we, we, we love Jesus. And that's because it is through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that those initial aspects of transformation start. So we value Jesus. We value love. If there's one thing that we learn in life, it is that God designed us as human beings to thrive and grow and change in an environment of love. If somebody is starved of love, they just shrivel up. Vibrancy. We don't want this to be a dead church. So we, we, we emphasize the importance of God's presence amongst us in the form of the Holy Spirit. We're a vibrant church. Um, we're a family. Once again, we, we, we talk about being real. We, we just want to be people who are just real and honest with each other. Yes, we have our failings. We ask one another for forgiveness. If you have some issue with somebody in the church, then we give you permission to come and chat to us or for you to go and chat to them. We give one another permission to come and talk about it. Um, and then lastly, service. Uh, it says in, in Philippians that Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness he was obedient unto death death on a cross so we value service um, and then the second reason why you will grow if you if you if you are part of harvest and we all need to be promoting this and pushing this is that you would have been he hearing us talking for a while about next steps um, and what's that all about? Well, basically, we, we, God's given us this, this concept or this idea that no matter where you are in your faith journey, even if you're a seeker and you haven't necessarily put your faith in God yet, or whether you're a seasoned veteran of the faith, you've been going at it for 40, 50 years, there's always another step that you can be taking towards God, towards growth, towards transformation. And so we're always talking about next steps. And we're challenging one another. Just as I've challenged you now to, to, during the week to say, to say to people, the best is yet to be. What if the best is yet to be? What about challenging one another? Well, what's the next step? What's the next step that you're going to be taking to, to move towards growth? Once again, this, we don't do these things to get saved. These are an expression of being saved. And there's a whole lot of different things that we can do. We don't have to do them all at once. You don't have to have ticked them all off to be saved. <laughs> but there's something that you need to do next to, be, to make sure that you are engaging and participating at Harvest. Could be getting baptized, could be joining a, a, life, uh, a life group, Focus 61 group, who knows. So, participation, transformation, 
the ongoing aspect of it, it's necessary to be obedient, it's necessary to participate. And then I'd like to finish off by talking about mediation, which is a big word, um, so let me explain it to you. Many of you will have served hamburgers at school events. Did anyone ever have to do that? I always tried to avoid doing it. It's just it's a flip, it's a nightmare. But it, well, it was for me anyway. But, but that, that whole idea of um, serving hamburgers is you've got a, an entire setup to make and cook hamburgers and sell them to people who want hamburgers. So what you're doing is you are mediating hamburgers. You're making hamburgers available to people. And that's what, that's what our job is as a transformational person. Our job as a transformational church is to mediate or make available the presence of God, and, which is the Holy Spirit. And we do that with love as our motivation. And our, tr our goal is transformation. Why would we mediate the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us um, that it, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're also told in the Bible, in fact it's Jesus who tells us, that it's the Spirit that convicts people of sin and their need for God and their need for change. It's the Spirit that changes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. It's the spirit, and I love this one, it, it comes from 2 Corinthians 3. It is the spirit that is writing a letter on your heart. This is a letter that's written by God using the Holy Spirit, and it is readable to everyone. And that's what we want to be doing as a church. We want to be writing a letter that everybody in Harari can read. And the person who does the writing of the letter is the Holy Spirit because he's the only one who can write on a person's heart. He's the only one who can change a person's heart. Now I just have to say that there are an infinite number of ways that you can become an agent for transformation. Just think for a moment of the guys who set up the sound equipment on a Sunday. They are making it possible for, for the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to be mediated on a Sunday morning. That's what they're doing. They're putting it out there. You wouldn't be able to hear me preaching. You wouldn't be able to hear a testimony. You wouldn't be able to hear the praise and worship unless those guys had done it. They need to do it with a motivation of love, with a desire to love and honor God and to love and serve other people. Their goal should be transformation. They're not, it's not just simply, that is not a me, that's not something in, a, in an end in itself, putting those speakers up. It's a means to mediating the presence of God. And so even when they're setting up the sound equipment, they could be praying, Father God, I pray that today, through the sound, the presence of, of God would be mediated. The Holy Spirit would be mediated to change people. They could be praying about that. If you're setting out chairs, same story. It doesn't really matter. I've put it together in this kind of formula. So, for example, when I'm serving coffee, my motivation is love, so that the way that I serve coffee, I'm gonna do it as best as I can. I'm gonna do it in a way that shows love to other people. My goal is transformation, because ultimately, I'm part of a system that is making the Spirit of God available to people so that they can be changed. That's my goal. And the means is the Holy Spirit. 
So while I'm serving coffee, I'm going to be praying for the people who come. And just, just quietly and smiling, them, smiling, treating them respectfully, treating them lovingly. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. And I was, I was watching um, Trish Henson walking past with her grandchildren. And I was just thinking for her to be a transformational agent as a grandmother. First of all, she'll say to herself, what if the best is yet to be? Do I want more good things for my grandchildren? Of course I do. I want them to be in heaven. Okay, what if the best is yet to be? Is my motivation love? Am I doing this to impress people? Or am I doing this to show love to these children? My goal is transformation. The means is the Holy Spirit. So what can I do to make sure that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is made available to these kids? So maybe it's going to be praying for them. Maybe it's going to be reading stories to them about, from the Bible. Maybe it's going to be taking them, as we saw, around the back to harvest kids. So it doesn't matter what you do. You just ask yourself the question, is the best yet to be? Yes, it is. My goal in doing this is transformation. I want to be motivated by love. How is that going to shape the way I do this? And the means is the Holy Spirit. So what am I going to do to make sure that the Holy Spirit is made available to people so that they can be changed? If we can do that, folks, a very simple thing in different areas of our lives, we will become agents for transformation and we will be changed in the process as well. And then just lastly, we, at Harvest, we also support ministries that are involved in transformation. So we have um, Tien and Deirdre Boerter in Chigutu. They're helping teenagers have a hope and a future. Teenagers don't know what to do when they leave school. So they train them so that they're able to, to make a living for themselves. Um, and that training them becomes a vehicle to make the Holy Spirit available to them. They're doing it out of love. Their goal is transformation. The project is called Shanduko Transformation Project. Wonderful. Um, Zimbabwe for Jesus, same story. Trevor and his team have set up a, a way of making the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, available to people out in the rural areas. And so we pray for them and we support them um, as best we can. Um, miracle missions, similar story. But folks, it, you don't need to feel compelled to, to get excited about evangelism or to get excited about um, teaching people how to weld. God, wherever you are, if you use this concept, this construct, then you will become a transformational person. What if the best is yet to be? I want to be motivated by a desire to see people changed. Father, help me to do this in a loving way. How would that shape the way I'm doing it? And how can I make the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, available through what I'm doing? And it doesn't matter what it is. Being a grandmother, um, setting out the sound, um, being a businessman, it fits. Shall we stand? And let's, let's close together. Because I, I think this is tremendously exciting. Let's just pray together. And pray along in your, in your heart uh, if you agree with me. Father God, I believe that the best is yet to be. I want to see transformation in my life and I want to become an agent for transformation. My goal in life 
is to be transformed and to see transformation. Father, I want to do this through a motive of love. And so I just want to declare this morning my love for you and my love for others. And Father, I recognize that the means by which this transformation will happen is by the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit. And so we just say, come and work with us, Holy Spirit. And whatever it is that we're doing, show us how to do it in such a way that you are made available. Lead us, guide us, give us wisdom, give us insight, challenge us. Come and help us. Because we don't want to squander our lives. We don't want to squander the opportunity that we have here in Harare at this time. And so we commit ourselves to you as a congregation. In Jesus' name. Amen.